Hello and welcome to the Stock Stories Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to helping you, the individual investor, make better investing decisions by looking at case studies of individual companies as well as mental models. Welcome to episode 61. Welcome. Welcome to the show. This is Stock Stories and my name is Alex. I'm your stock storyteller for today. And yeah, this is the show where we look at case studies and mental models in order to become better investors. Very simply put, we have been going through a lot of companies lately. And so I wanted to get back into the mental models just a little bit. So today we're going to not talk about any specific companies, but instead focus on a little bit of the theory, a little bit of the philosophy behind investing. What are the things that we need to be thinking about as investors? What's another tool in our tool belt that we can use in order to make better decisions? So without further ado, let's talk about survivorship bias. All right, survivorship bias is this. It is the logical error that results from believing that people or things achieve some desirable state because of certain attributes, simply because they survived in the given data set. Let me go ahead and repeat that. Survivorship bias is the logical error that results from people believing that people or things achieve some desirable state because of certain attributes simply because they survived in a given data set. So put another way, just because a characteristic is shared or noticed does not mean that it led to the outcome. We have to look at an entire data set in order to come up with a more logical conclusion. And I'll give some examples of what this is and how it relates to investing and to life. The first example I have for you today is with history. So if you think about, think back to when you were in school or maybe you're still in school and when you studied history, you were given a textbook, right? Or maybe it was a series of books of literature or just an overall textbook. Uh, That book had a certain set of facts within it and came with certain stories and different timelines of people, places, and events. That specific book was written by an author or authors that came from a certain point of view, studied with a certain bent in their research, and they just had their own perspective on things. So it's not a completely objective piece of, piece of uh, reference material. It's something that is referred to based on that person's experience, based on the author's experience. And not only that, but it's only, it's only such a small fraction 
of the total amount of information available on a given subject. For example, if you were reading a textbook about, say, U.S. history, that is going to be written from a certain point of view. It's going to be written without taking into account a lot of different people's viewpoints because partly because of scale, there's only so much information that can be included in one single book. But additionally, there's only so many opinions you can express in a certain amount of pages. So think about this. Historians tend to study people and organizations that had good records and or had some manner of success. Think about that. History tends to paint pictures of the winners. We almost never talk about the losers. And this kind of lends itself to human emotions, right? Because if you're reading something about the past, what do you want to read about? You want to read about how things went well for people, how everyone succeeded. But I think more often than not, people don't want to look at what failed or the struggles that people went through, or maybe not even necessarily positive versus negative, but simply different, a perspective that's different than a mainstream view. And this can be a very, very dangerous bias when we get into investing because we look at certain outcomes and say, oh, well, these things or these entities or these investments had these results. Let's look at what made them successful and then extrapolate that those characteristics must be the only thing that it, that needs to lead to those outcomes. But what about all the losers? So history is only written from the viewpoint of the winners, not from the losers. After all, the person who's victorious wants to write about their accomplishments and how they achieved them. How many memoirs about quote-unquote average people ever really get published? Think about that. If you were to go into a bookstore or you were to go to Amazon.com and you look for memoirs, you're going to see a lot of memoirs of people who are famous or have some sort of pretty unique life story, some sort of characteristic about themselves that you look at and say, oh, wow, that's different. Let me read this or let me look into this. Your neighbor down the street average Joe, perhaps, they might not have a memoir about them. Not because they're not an interesting person. Everyone, I believe, has something very interesting about themselves as part of the individuality of the human experience. But as far as being able to appeal to a very broad audience, it really helps to have something really super interesting, super impactful, super different that draws people in to want to read your life story. So that that just goes to say that your neighbor down the street could have an incredible life story and a book written about them, but publishers are not seeking out the average Joe to write memoirs. They're seeking out famous people who are already famous because they know that based on their previous success in whatever field of endeavor they've had, they can probably sell some books (laughs) talking about their life. So to extend this metaphor a little bit further, if you're reading a biography about a very famous person and you say, oh, this person did X, Y, and Z things and they became very successful. All right, that's great. Um, So that makes me think initially that, okay, if I do X, Y, and Z things myself, I will also be successful. This, however, is in some sense a fallacy because 
it discounts all of the people who did those exact same things and yet still failed. The entire data set is not shown with that one famous person's book. The famous person got a book written about them because they made it. The people who failed probably didn't want to write books. <laughs> so that's just an example of survivorship bias from the sense of history or biographies or memoirs. Think about think about best-selling books about people's lives. These are people who have already found success. And so uh, their success tends, tends to be amplified and viewed in, uh, viewed viewed more easily than those who kind of fall into obscurity because they didn't have the same outcome. Uh, one thing I wanted to bring up regarding this history example is right now I'm reading a biography called Prince of Darkness by Shane White. And it's about a man named Jeremiah Hamilton, who was actually the first black millionaire on Wall Street. And it's very interesting because almost no historical record has been accounted of him, of his life, until very recently. And uh, I just find it very interesting for multiple reasons, but one of the reasons is this idea of survivorship bias. We know about this one man who, based on the color of his skin, probably shouldn't have made it. Uh, based on all of the factors going against him at this point in American history. But yet he did. We don't hear about, though, all of those others, people of color, who maybe tried to make it in Wall Street, but didn't because they didn't make it, right? But even the one who did make it, we only have one book about him. And uh, there's just other mental models that I think go into that. But as far as survivorship bias goes... Um, we're not hearing about the other people who didn't make it. Uh, we like to hear about the story of the person who beats all odds, but what about the people who don't beat the odds, right? They just get forgotten. Moving on to another example, let's talk about how survivorship bias plays into career success. Again, this kind of plays into the books aspect of it, but let's think about just about people and about the career trajectories that they have. Think about Bill Gates, and Mark Zuckerberg. Both of them went to Harvard, they both dropped out of Harvard, and they both became billionaires. So based on this information, which is all factual, one might say, okay, if I can get into Harvard and go there and drop out, I can become a billionaire. Well, maybe you can, uh, but it's still highly unlikely based on all of the statistics, right? These, these people achieved things that were incredibly phenomenal. They worked incredibly hard and they have brilliant minds. Uh, what about all the people who did that and we don't know their name? We don't know the products they created because they never achieved the same success that Facebook did or that Microsoft did. Uh, what happened to the other Harvard dropouts? This is something that we don't hear about. Another example are sports stars who made it straight to the league at a high school. And these are people that dominate their fields within sports. Think about LeBron James. Think about so many famous athletes that are stars and are brilliant at what they do. We don't hear about the people who 
were really good, maybe playing basketball in high school, maybe they were the star of their team, maybe even the star in their in their division, but they didn't make it to the league. No, they went to college and they got a degree and they went and had normal jobs and normal lives, but they were good at basketball at one point in time. We don't hear about those people because of survivorship bias. So I went and did a little bit of research into this whole question of sports because we always hear about the fact that most people who want to become professional athletes don't make it. I think we all kind of know that intuitively, but I want to know what the numbers are behind that. So if we look at high school athletes, there are over 7.3 million high school athletes in the United States. And of that, just 6% end up playing in an NCAA team. So, and this is all divisions. So D1, D2, D3, etc. So all divisions, only 6% of high school athletes make it to college. And then of those, only 2% make it into a major professional league. So this is just 0.12% of student athletes in high school actually get drafted into, and I'm just including the major ones here, NFL, NBA, MLB, and what is it, NHL. So pretty much the four major sports leagues. That's such a small percentage. But yet on TV, if we were to turn on a basketball game or a football game, we see all these people playing and doing amazing things with their talent. And a lot of people think, okay, yeah, like I can make it because they did. And maybe you can. And I encourage you to follow your dreams no matter what it is. I just want to point out that there is survivorship bias at play, that the math doesn't lie, that we know we don't hear about the people who didn't make it. So don't just think about the positive side of the equation. Really look at it in a balanced, objective sense as best you can and say, okay, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, but I know that the odds are against me. Or maybe the odds aren't against you, but at least it's important to know what the statistics actually are. All right, let's bring this home to investing because these are, I think, good examples for other areas of life. But when it comes to our portfolio, how are we going to put survivorship bias into effect in order to make better decisions? So one of the things is that many studies have shown that investment performance conveniently don't account for losses for the losers. This is especially bad as far as mutual funds go. So mutual funds, what they do is if a fund is not performing that well, they will quietly close the fund that's underperforming, or they'll merge that money into another fund that's doing more successful, uh, having better performance. And so the funds that aren't doing well, no one ever really talks about them. They just kind of fall off the map. But yet, if we pull out a magazine, and uh, I've done this before, I think it was Money Magazine or something, I looked at one of the ads and it was Fidelity advertising about their Fidelity Contra Fund which has outperformed the S&P 500 over over a decade, I believe, a good number of years. And it's like, oh, wow, Fidelity Contra Fund, that sounds like a good actively managed mutual fund. And I believe it probably is. The thing is, that's like Fidelity, one of Fidelity's flagship funds, or at least it used to be when I read this information. What about all the other funds that Fidelity has? Certainly some of them underperformed and some of them overperformed. But the ones that we're going to read about in the magazine ad 
is the one that overperformed. Uh, so just keep this in mind when investing, if you are going to invest in a mutual fund and keep in mind an index fund is a form of mutual fund. So this includes index funds. Look at the ones that underperform and overperform um, other indices. And uh, just a side note, also keep in mind that all index funds are the same. If you invest in an index fund that's supposed to track the S&P 500, there are many different types of funds that track the S&P 500, but they're not all going to perform exactly the same. And the reason is, one, the fees charged are going to be different. And number two is that, remember that the index is actually not, it's not really a thing. It's just a list of stocks that are owned in certain proportions. So Fidelity may track an index more closely than a Vanguard or vice versa. So just keep that in mind too. Uh, yeah, so investing in index funds, index funds change over time. Components get added or removed. And this is an example of survivorship bias as well. If you were to look at a prospectus of an index fund right now that tracks the total stock market in the United States, you would see a whole list of companies, some in very small proportions, some in very large proportions, like some of the ones that we talked about on this show, like Apple and... Uh, Visa, etc. These are big companies. Uh, But what about all the other payment processing companies that competed with Visa over the years that didn't make it? We don't hear about them because they're not in the index fund. They probably got dropped from the index fund years ago. Same thing about all of the consumer electronic companies that competed with Apple way back in the day. A lot of those guys are no longer around. Maybe they didn't even make it to the index. Maybe they were included in the index at one point in time, but then got removed. Think about this. In the early 2000s, Shell was a part of S&P 500 and actually was a key contributor to the performance of S&P 500 for many decades. But then it got removed because the committee who decided what should be included in the S&P 500 decided that the S&P 500 should only include companies that are domestically based. So international investments were excluded. So Shell got kicked out because it's based in Europe. Now, even though Shell is an excellent company, and even though Shell has outperformed the vast majority of stocks in the history of the stock market, it got kicked out for political reasons. So even though Shell has not survived, quote unquote, in the index, it has certainly survived as a company and as a successful investment. So think about that. Think about the fact that what you see right now is just a snapshot of time and doesn't necessarily paint the picture of number one, the losers who didn't make it, but two, the winners who did make it but are no longer considered winners based on other considerations other than performance. So that's something that um, that I wanted to point out. Like what if Shell had been included in the index in 2008? What if, say, a company like Salesforce.com who has, which is a company that has had phenomenal success, uh, what if that had not been added to the index? Salesforce.com, I pulled, pulled some data, back in 2008, between then and now, they've had 22% annual growth in their stock price. No doubt that has contributed to the rise of S&P 500 index funds. But what if, for what whatever reason, Salesforce had not been added to the S&P 500? 
what would happen then? Well, the index's performance would have been lower. Um, but, but we see it now because this is the company that quote unquote survived. It's made it, it's existing now and it's included as part of the index. So therefore we look at it now and say, okay, we will now count all the data of Salesforce since it joined the index and it lifted the index's prices. I feel like uh, I've been jumping around a little bit here, but hopefully you understand the key point of what I'm saying. When you look at a data set, look at the whole thing. The way that our minds work, they can be influenced either positively or negatively based on the snapshot of data that we're viewing today. We're not getting the whole picture of what happened in the past. And there are many different variations on this, many different reasons that data is not included or that psychologically we don't want to look at data that's not included but it is important to look as objectively as po- as possible at a given data set to make us better investors so what can you do what can i do practically with this information when it comes to investing well take a look at any funds that you own for example and look at the prospectus what are the relative weightings of the components what companies have done exceedingly well what companies have been kicked out of the index Take a look at a prospectus from a few years ago or several years ago. What are the companies that were around in the index several years ago and are around today? What about companies that got kicked out? Why were they kicked out? Um, What what are the reasons for that? Is the company still successful? Does that maybe merit further research as to what might make a good investment? I don't know. But think about more complete data sets when you're investing and it'll serve you well. So that's something that I'm trying to do more of, and I hope you do too. So hopefully this idea serves you. And that's all I got today. Thank you so much for listening to the Stock Stories podcast. Uh, We're going to keep going through the S&P 500. So I'll be back again next week with another company. Although next week's company, I just decided to do another IPO. So (laughs) just for fun. So we'll be going through another company that's recently IPO'd next week, but Thanks for listening. presented here on stock stories is for informational educational and entertainment purposes only you and you alone are responsible for your investment and financial decisions please consult an appropriate tax legal or financial advisor that can analyze your specific situation in the context of your goals and circumstances